0: This is Crossroads with Clayton King. This should come as no surprise to you, but one of the greatest sources of stress and anxiety is money. Did you also know that the number one cause of divorce statistically is disagreements about money or just a lack of communication in the marriage about who spends money on what, who makes the decisions, who manages the bills? If you and I would just read Proverbs, the book of Proverbs from the Bible, we would have so much great content and wisdom on how to handle money. That's what this message is about. Some simple wisdom about money straight from the pages of the Bible in the book of Proverbs. This is gonna help you, so get a pen and paper, take some notes, get ready to learn. Today, I want us to allow the wisdom of Proverbs to speak to us about money and finances, money and finances. Now, I wanna ask you a question before I begin this message, and it's just a real simple question. I think all of us have an emotional reaction when we hear the word money. So what is your reflex when you hear the word money? What do you immediately think about? What does it make you feel? In your heart. I can actually look out right now in the audience and I can see people's faces change when I say the word money. And and I know that in my own life, there have been seasons where I have reacted emotionally in different ways. For some of us, let's just be honest, when we hear the word money, we worry, it causes us anxiety. When we think about money, we think about how much we don't have. And we start to think if I just had more money, I could pay some of the bills and my anxiety would go away. But today I just wanna ask you this question and then I'm gonna answer it for you from the scripture. What does God say about money? He actually has a lot to say about money and we're just gonna pick five of those biblical principles today. But the reason why God has stuff to say about money is because God cares about you. God cares about you. He cares about you, he wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to be filled with joy. God also wants you and me to be able to help people with the resources He's given us. So what does God say about money? Well, actually quite a bit. And why does He care? God cares about your money only because God cares about you. And God cares about the people around you that you could bless and help with your resources. So I wanna start off, we're gonna go straight into every one of these scriptures and I'm gonna read the scripture I'm gonna explain the spiritual aspect. And then for every one of these, I'm gonna give you one simple practical tip because that's what I love about Proverbs. It's a practical book. It's stuff you can do. You can put it into practice. It answers the question, how? As a preacher, I'm always trying to remind myself that as I'm spiritually teaching and imparting stuff to people when I'm preaching, I wanna tell you how to do what the Bible says. And this is as easy as it gets when we look at what Proverbs says about money. Number one, principle, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, tell us specifically as plain as it can speak to us, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is a promise honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The first principle is simply this, that when you and I think about our money, we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to replace those feelings of worry and scarcity to to replace those feelings of anxiety and fear, we can replace those with joy. We can replace those emotions by trusting this promise of God's word that if we honor the Lord with our wealth, God will do something with that. God will fill up our vats, fill up our barns with what we produce. In other words, God is a God of multiplication. Now, let me explain this before anyone begins to assume or think. So Clayton, are you saying if I just encourage increase my giving I'm going to get more money no uh, that is that is way too simplistic of an explanation about this there is a word here that's used you see this in the old testament over and over again as well as the new testament and it's this word first fruits Okay, it's a concept in the Bible. And it's not just about your finances. He mentions grain and he mentions wine. This means that they were growing grain, wheat, corn. Um, they They had gardens, they had farms. They were also growing grapes with which they would make wine. And it was an assumption among the Jews that God got the first fruits. What God wants from us is that we give God our first and our best. That God gets the first and the best. And this word, this phrase, first fruits, is this biblical concept. And I was taught years ago, even as a child, and I want to help teach you this today, that when you're reading the scripture and you see the phrase first fruits, think the word tithe. Think tenth. The word tithe simply means one tenth. Now the Jews were expected to tithe to the temple. That was called the storehouse. And that money and those offerings were brought to, the tithe was brought to the temple so that those in need could receive from the people of God. It's always been the way God gets His resources to people in need. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but those cattle live in somebody's pasture. And those cattle eat somebody's grass and they drink somebody's water. So God has all the resources, but he wants the people of God who have those resources in their hands to be generous with those resources. And the first step is what we call first fruits or tithing. God's wealth is in our pockets. God doesn't have a magical bank account in heaven. He doesn't just print money. God's money is in my hands and I wanna honor the Lord with my wealth. The tithe is the beginning. It's just the jumping off spot. It's just the first step in understanding the principles of money from the Word of God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, number one. Number two, this is another biblical principle from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verses four and five, it says these words, well, let me just give you the phrase first, hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. That's the second principle I wanna give you. Hard work pays off. Off. Now, this is not a hard concept for me to remember because I was raised in Fountain Inn, South Carolina with a dad that believed if you were breathing, you better be working. It was a foreign concept for me to go off to college and meet people who thought Saturday was a day off. Because for me growing up, Saturday was a day you worked and got everything done that you didn't get done Monday through Friday. Sunday was rest day. So, so I, I understand this concept of hard work paying off because my dad taught this to me. Proverbs chapter 10, verses four and five. And I might have a little uh, fun with this one. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. A slack hand, what does it cause? Poverty. Other translations simply use the word laziness. Can we just have a quick little conversation right now about some of the things that are happening in our culture? Listen, I love you. Listen to Pastor Clayton. I'm gonna talk to you like a dad. I'm gonna talk to you like a brother. I'm gonna talk to you like a friend. Laziness is not a biblical value. Rest is, laziness is not. And I feel like the pendulum has swung in our culture. I feel like 20, 15 years ago, maybe, um, we were all talking about, at least I can remember this in ministry, about work, 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 and how work brings burnout, and you gotta take some time off, and you need to take a vacation, and you need to rest. And I agree with that. I love the concept of rest. It's a biblical concept of Sabbathing and giving that day to the Lord. But I think the pendulum has swung until now. And listen, please hear me. Don't send me an email and get mad at me. I'm all for self-care, but self-care every day I'm all for self-care, but how many pedicures and manicures do you need? I'm all about self-care and I love sports, but I don't have to spend that kind of money to go to every single game. And I'm not a golfer. And all my friends who play golf, they're like, don't start golf because it'll make you really impatient and you'll spend way too much money. I'm all about like for me, Harley Davidson, 95 degrees, six hours on a bike. That's how I Sabbath. I love the bike, but I can't as a Christian get angry at God for not providing the finances I need if all I ever do is rest and play and Sabbath and self-care. We need to recover, I'm gonna say it, and honestly, I don't care if you like it because it's the Bible. We need to recover a work ethic in America. We need to recover this concept of sweat equity We need to recover this biblical idea that when you work hard for something, you take pride in what you accomplish. That when you earn something and you know it's yours and you work for it, you spend it differently. You invest it differently. I'm watching the clock. I need to hurry up, but I got some things to say. I want to really drive home this point. If you are lazy, God is not bound by a promise to take care of you if you won't work. Now, if you can't work, I get it. If you've retired, I get it. If there's an an inability to physically work, that's different. But if we are able-bodied, the Bible tells us we should gather in the summer. But if we sleep during harvest, it's shameful. That's a word we don't like to use. And I understand, God doesn't want to shame us But it's a shameful thing for me to call myself a child of God, but I'm not willing to put forth effort to provide for my family and bless the house of God with my tithes and my giving when I have the ability to do that. The Bible says it's shameful. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. Hey, before I wrap up this message, I wanted to tell you about something really exciting that's happening right now at Crossroads. For over 20 years, we've prayed about and looked for a piece of property we could use for ministry training and retreat and refuge, and we found it. We just purchased a beautiful home on a two-acre peninsula on beautiful Lake Hartwell in South Carolina, and we're renovating it right now to make it available. We wanna be able to use this as a pastoral and ministry leader retreat, as well as a place of refuge, as well as a place that you could rent for a weekend getaway, or even your team of staff from your organization, your church, or your business. We're doing all of this through the support of friends like you. So if you'd like to help us You can go to claytonking.com slash give and make a donation. But please pray for us that we'll be able to use the Crossroads Retreat to bless folks in the kingdom of God in the days to come. So let's sit there for a second. Hard work pays off. But laziness? Shameful. What's a practical thing you can do? See your work as a way to worship God. Don't just look at your work as a way to make money. Don't just look at your job as the income stream. Don't just look at your job as something you dread. Wake up in the morning and say, I can't believe I get to worship God with my work. I can't believe I get to do that. Look at your work, the job you have, whether you work from home or whether you work with your hands or whether you work with your mind or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, look at your job, your work, as a way you're bringing glory to God as a way to worship. Number three, slow and steady wins the race with money. Slow and steady wins the race with money. Proverbs thirteen eleven. So plain, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. In other words, if you get rich quick, you get poor quick. If you make money fast, you lose money fast. There's no such thing as a free lunch. We've heard all these phrases before, but the Bible literally says, if you will gather little by little, you can increase your wealth slow and steady, wins the race practically. How does this work out in, in the life of a believer? Or for, well, first of all, I believe that that first 10%, the first fruits goes to the tithe of the church in the house of God. But then I believe you have the ability. Now listen, I know we have single people, high school students, college students, we've got retirees, we've got people in their working years. And so there is no legalistic way to go about this. I won't give you numbers and percentages, but there are some practical things that you can do based on the place in life where you find yourself right now. Roth IRA, simple IRA, 401k, buy a used car instead of a new car, um, Pay with cash, slow and steady wins the race. You're probably not going to build your wealth with a scratch off ticket. You're probably not going to win the lottery. Oh, and side note, if you win the lottery, statistically, your life is over. You'll lose not only everything you make, but you'll probably end up losing family and friends and potentially even your own life. There are so many studies and stories that prove that to be true. If you get rich quick, you're gonna get poor quick. That's not what God wants for us because He loves us. He wants us to to run this slow and steady race where we can little by little amass resource for the kingdom of God to help others. Number four. Take care of your business. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 tells us to take care of our business. Here's what it says. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Look at that verse again, verse 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. In the time of the wisdom literature of Proverbs, a person's wealth, a family's wealth, was tied up in lands and fields and livestock. And if if you had livestock, you had to pay attention to their condition. You had to take care to make sure that they were cared for. You knew every sheep, by name, you knew every cow by name. And if one was missing, you knew it. And if you didn't see one come to eat, you went to go look for them. And if they got injured, you took care of them. What does this mean for us? It simply means this. In your context, take care of your financial business. So some practical things that we can do to take care of our business, Pay the bills that come when they're due. And some of y'all are like, well, I wish I could do that. Well, these are practical biblical steps to help, help get you there. Pay the bills when they come due. Uh, also, here's one. Do you know how much money you're bringing in exactly? And do you know how much money you're spending Exactly. It's a test I've done with our coaching network at Crossroads when I train men that feel called to ministry or evangelism. We do a whole session on money and I tell them, get out a pen and a piece of paper and without consulting your phone, put your phone on airplane mode, write down right now in one column, all of your sources of income and how much money you make every month. And in the other column, write down everything you spend every single month. You've got five minutes. I've never seen one guy that was able to do it all without consulting their phone. Now, not, that's, not, that's not to embarrass anyone. It's simply to say, we all, I've done it too. Like I didn't even realize how much my internet bill and my cable bill had gone up until I literally am looking through my credit card statements and I realize I'm not paying careful enough attention to my finances. So many people don't even know how much they're spending. Did you know the average American right now has $6,200 in credit card debt? That's just credit card debt. That's not your home loan, that's not mortgage, that's not a car payment, that's not health insurance, that, that's just credit card debt, $6,200 in credit card debt. We need to pay attention to these details because these details, that's our herd, that's our flock. We need to pay careful attention to our herds and our flocks because riches do not last forever. And so many of us could be blessed have a happier life and have more peace if we just paid attention to where our money's going. Also, I'm just gonna throw it out there, that $8 Frappuccino at Starbucks might not be the best investment of your money. Get a bag of black coffee at Ingalls and brew it yourself at your house. Plus, black coffee is so much better for you. It's what Jesus drinks. I love to go out to eat. If you live in Anderson, you're gonna see me at Sullivan's having lunch with friends. But do you even know how much it costs to eat out right now? I mean, go to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store this week. I went to Ingalls. I walked out with four bags. It was $80. I think a lot of us are aware now of how little our money will actually buy. And even though that makes us sometimes feel the pressure, it can also be a good thing because it causes us to pay attention to the condition of our herds and our flocks. And one final piece of wisdom from Proverbs about money. Proverbs chapter 22, verses seven through nine. Avoid debt and be generous. Avoid debt and be generous generous. And I know that for some of us, debt is a reality. It's where we're living right now. But listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs 22, seven through nine. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed because he shares his bread with the poor. A bountiful eye. It means we're looking for opportunities to be generous. A bountiful eye means that we move away from a scarcity mindset to a generosity mindset. That we move away from I've gotta hoard and protect everything that's mine to it's not mine, it's God's. And he gave it to me so I could steward it well. A bountiful eye looks for opportunities to share your bread or your resources with others. So some practical ways to do this. If you are in debt, and so many of us are and have been, pay off the smallest debt you have first. Just take that smallest debt, pay it off first, and you can prove to yourself that you can do it, you build momentum, then you pick the next biggest debt, you pay it off, and you work your way there. And as much as you can, Try not to borrow money if you don't have to. If there's any other way, that's one practical thing you can do. And here's a practical thing that you can do to be generous. I'm gonna list a couple for you. My dad taught me this, carry some cash with you, because if all you've got is an iPhone and all you've got is, is a, a, you know, a credit card with a chip in it, what if you're at a restaurant? What if you're at the YMCA? What if you're at the gas station? What if you're at the grocery store and somebody needs help and you've got no cash to reach in your pocket and give to them? Shari and I were eating tacos at a new taco place in Anderson on Friday for lunch. And a woman walked up to our table and tried to sell me a broken piece of a watch, just the middle piece. And she said, I'm trying to get some money because I'm hungry. I said, I'm not gonna buy that watch from you, but I'll, I'll buy your lunch. It was six bucks to get her two tacos. My dad taught me that, he called it walking around money. Carry a little bit of cash with you, just so that when you meet somebody who has a need, you don't have to pray about it. Because if there's a need in front of me and I can meet it, then I'm sinfully disobedient if I just decide I'm not gonna do it. One more practical thing that you can do. Share what you have. What do you have? Some of y'all are like, well, I don't have a whole lot of money to give. Do you have a spare bedroom at your house? Are you an empty nester? Pray that God would show you a single mom that could move in there with her child. Pray that God would show you someone you could give that spare car to that you don't really need. Maybe you've got some resource somewhere that's just collecting dust. You could sell it and you could give that money to somebody that's really in need. Just look for opportunities to share your bread with the poor. In other words, develop a bountiful eye. Look at the world instead of through a mindset of scarcity and hoarding what you have, look at the world through the eyes of God, a loving Father who wants to help people in need and God's money in our hands, we can give it. But it starts with a bountiful eye. I hope this message has helped you understand that you can honor the Lord with your wealth. You don't have to be rich to do it. You just have to develop an eye to see the opportunities around you to be generous and develop the ears that can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when he whispers to you, be generous to someone and bless them. Let's do this together. Let's honor the Lord with our income, our money, and our wealth. And if we honor the Lord in our hearts first, it's easier to honor the Lord with the wealth. He puts His money in our hands to use it for His glory. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.